After, like I said, five-week break uh, from our trip, my family, uh, my, my wife, my two kids, their spouses, my 17-month-old grandson. Here, let me, I just have a little advice. Do not take a 17-month-old grandson to Southeast Asia for three weeks. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. We're going to finish the Lord's Prayer today. We're going to uh, look at the final petition and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But before we do that, I want to tell you a, a little bit more about uh, from, from our trip. And just so you know, this part does not count in the sermon time links, okay? So this is kind of like me just sharing. It will hopefully relate to the sermon, though. Uh, last week... I shared in the, in the beginning with the announcements uh, the joy and just the humbling experience of spending time with a young man, uh, C, and his family. C was one of the young men who, who came to Christ over 20 years ago when my wife and I were uh, missionaries in central Thailand and who's now serving as a pastor and church planner in North Thailand. That's not C. Can you? I'm not ready for that picture. Thanks. Stay there. Uh, so in central Thailand, but C is now a pastor and a church planner in North Thailand among the Shan people. And so another young man who came to Christ shortly after C was his friend Quan. I actually shared a little bit about Quan uh, the week before we left for Thailand. I showed you this picture of Quan and my son Michael. That's the then picture. This is the now picture. Somebody's changed a lot. <laughs> uh, and this is a picture of Quan and his family. These pictures were taken two weeks ago after the church service in Lopuri. If you remember, I shared Quan is now the pastor of the same church uh, we helped to start over 20 years ago. Uh, the church's name is Chrisajak Prasari, which means the Glory Church. And for me, one of the highlights, one of the great joys from this trip, maybe from my life, was listening to Quan uh, preach from the Word of God. Now, I have to admit, uh, after 17 years of not speaking Thai, I only understood about half his message, but, but I do know he preached with passion about what it means to, to be a true Christian. And as I listened to him preach the Word of God, uh, explaining what it meant to truly follow Christ, I, I began to think about how Quan came to follow Christ. Last week I shared that in 1996, uh, we took about 30 Thai college students on a bus to an evangelistic camp. And at that camp, that young man, C, along with a couple other Thai uh, girls, believed and, and gave their life to Christ, but not Quan. He went to camp, but he, wasn't, uh, uh, but he didn't believe at that time. However, he, did, he was interested. When my fellow missionary, uh, Johnny McLean, I, a good Irish, Irishman, and I began to disciple C, uh, Quan, his friend, came along. So we, were, we gave him discipleship curriculum and just treated him the same. And as he studied the Bible, as we discipled, See, and, and actually Quan, it wasn't long before he decided to follow the Lord as well. So that, that's a brief summary of what happened uh, really on the surface. 
But I, I firmly believe there was something else involved in the conversion of both Si and Quan. And there was something else involved in them becoming leaders, both pastors now in the church in Thailand. And that something else uh, was prayer. Let me explain. Before we arrived in Thailand 24 years ago, we'd been told that the church suffered from a, a lack of male leadership. And that fact was clearly brought home to us. The, the first two weeks, we attended the, the church in Lopuri. That's the, the city we were in. The first Sunday happened to be the day the, the members of the church uh, nominated people to serve on the Gamakan, which is the, the church committee. At the time, the church didn't have a pastor, and so the committee provided the leadership to the church. Now, the church was small, about 20 to, to 30 people, and there were only a few men who were, who were members. And so, uh, six women and two men were, were nominated. I don't even know how many were supposed to be on the committee, but uh, I remember that six women, two men were nominated. However, the next Sunday, when the voting, I guess, was to take place, neither of the two men showed up. So by default, the six women were elected to the committee. And as we talked to other missionaries who'd been in Thailand much longer than us, we found that uh, this was typical. That first of all, there were many more women believers than men, and, and that the men uh, were often not interested in leadership. And so that brings us to prayer. My fellow missionary Johnny and I made a commitment to pray for one man. We said, we're going to pray for one man. We, we weren't greedy, and we were still in language school. So we asked God to give us just one man who, who, who would believe, and, and who we could disciple, and, and who would become a leader in the church. We also asked other missionaries, and we, we wrote letters to our supporters to join us in prayer. And, and when C, at this evangelistic camp, gave his life to the Lord, we were convinced he was the, the one man we had, we had prayed for. But God does immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And, and soon, Quan gave his life to the Lord. And there were others, uh, uh, an army sergeant named Anachit, who I have a picture of here, and another college student named Pope. Nothing to do with the Pope, but his, name, his nickname was Pope. And there were, and there were others. Now, my point in telling you this is first and foremost uh, to glorify God, to declare that He answers prayer. He works in lives. He works to bring people to Himself, and He works to grow people to maturity in Christ. And He, and he works through the prayers of His people. That's the thing that I, I, I want to emphasize here, really. I've seen it again and again. When God wants to work, He calls His people to pray. I believe that's, that's what happened in Lopuri, in Thailand over 20 years ago, and I believe it continues to happen throughout the world, and, and even in Riverside. And so as we come to the, the, our final time in the Lord's Prayer, I want us to come in anticipation. I want us to come asking God to, to work in our lives, to use this time in His Word to grow us in maturity. And to grow us and inspire us to spend more time in the presence of the Lord. To ask Him, Lord, do you want to make me a, a leader in the church? Allowing us the privilege to being part of God's glorious work in this world. Let's read the Lord's Prayer together one final time. Is it up there? Okay. So I'll start and if you guys can just read along with me. It's on this overhead. That's not an overhead. That's a PowerPoint. 
There are no overheads anymore, I don't think. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now again, it's been five weeks since our last message on the Lord's Prayer. I, I, I know, I keep thinking, maybe I should have really tried harder to finish then, but, but I think God has something for us today, and I think He wanted it to, to extend that five-week break. But, but because of that, I'm going to spend a little more time than usual reviewing what we've seen. In fact, I've included an outline of the, the whole prayer in your notes. But Lord willing, we will get to the final petition and finish today. If you remember, Jesus gave uh, uh, this prayer as part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 6. Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5 through 7. But it's not meant to be uh, mindlessly repeated, hoping that repeating the words will bring you favor with God. Instead, it's meant to be a model prayer for our instruction. And maybe the most important aspect of this prayer, the thing we have to know from the beginning, is what we pray to our Father in heaven. This is what we have to know whenever we pray. Jesus wants us to know that we're not praying to some distant, unknowable God out there. We're not praying to a, to a God who only listens when we say the right words or, or do the right things. Jesus wants us to know that we're praying to the God who welcomes us into relationship with Him. To a God who because of, uh, of what His Son Jesus Christ did on the cross and because of our trust in that has adopted us into His family. We're praying to the One who loves us because we're His children. And therefore, we can come to Him with all of our desires and our hopes and our needs. We can come without hesitation and boldness, laying before His feet all of our our needs and desires because He cares for us. Knowing that He is in heaven above all and and He has the power to work in our lives. Uh, He has the power, He loves us, and He has the power to work in our lives for our best. So first and foremost, when we pray, we must set firmly in our mind who we're praying to, that we're coming before our loving and powerful Father in heaven. And Jesus gives us six basic petitions or requests to bring to our Father. These six requests can be divided into two groups of three. And the first three petitions, uh, in the first three petitions, we pray for God's concerns. First, we pray for God's name. Hallowed be your name. We pray that our Father's name, and we talked about this, His reputation be kept holy. He is always holy, but sometimes His reputation is is degraded because of how His people act. That His name be honored, revered, glorified, and lifted up in our lives and among the nations. We're praying that in our world and through our lives, God will truly be seen and worshipped for who He is and for what He's done. Then second, we pray for God's kingdom. Your kingdom come. We ask that God's kingdom authority, His his right to rule and reign, come into our lives and into the lives of others. We're praying for people uh, to repent, to turn from their sin and to trust in the Lord that people would give their lives, they would submit uh, to His righteous authority in their lives. 
That, that, the conversion of C and Quan that I talked about were answers to this prayer. We were praying that, that the kingdom of God would come into the life of, of one Thai man. And third, we pray for God's will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In faith, we're to trust our, our heavenly Father. We're to trust His will above our own. Like Jesus, we must pray, not my will, but yours be done. And we also pray that God's will be done in our lives and, and, and in, in our world. That we'll do God's will as the angels in heaven. So that's the first half of the Lord's Prayer. The, the focus is God's concerns. And, and I believe that order is important here. We first turn our eyes to, to the Lord. We first turn our eyes to His concerns, to his, to his name, to His kingdom, to His will. And once we do that, we can then rightly turn to our Father to meet our needs. That's what Jesus is teaching us in the Lord's Prayer. We begin with God's concerns and then we, we pray for our needs. And our prayers address two basic needs. First, we pray for our physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. This is more than a, a request for actual bread, yes? And in some cultures, in Jesus' culture, and, and, and mostly in our culture, the American culture is pretty diverse, but mostly in our culture, bread is the staple food, right? However, in Asia, if you know, especially in the past, I mean, they have some bread now, but in the past, you wouldn't encounter bread at all. So you might get, pray, give us this day our, our daily rice, Right? Because this is a request for God to supply all of our physical needs. Bread symbolizes all that we need to sustain our lives. So we come to God, our Father, who loves us, and we ask Him to give us food, and to give us water, and to give us health, and to give us a job, and to give us clothing, and housing. And once we've asked God to meet our physical needs, we turn to our spiritual needs. There are two requests for God to meet our spiritual needs. First, we pray for our need for forgiveness. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That word debts is, is, is another word for sins. When we sin, we become indebted to God. We, we owe Him a payment for our sin. And that payment is death, for the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual and eternal death. But thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ we can experience forgiveness. Because on the cross, Jesus died for our sins. He paid our debt. So for those who trust in Him, we, we can come to Him and, and we can pray for and receive forgiveness for our sins. We can be washed clean. But Jesus says, He makes a point of saying, for this to happen, we have to forgive others. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. If we, if we uh, in our heart, harbor unforgiveness, we're unable to receive forgiveness that the Father offers. Therefore, we are to forgive others as freely and as graciously as God has forgiven us. Okay. All right, that was all review. And that brings us to the final request. Jesus teaches us to ask our Father in heaven for this. We prayed for our physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. We prayed for our spiritual need for forgiveness. And, and finally, we pray for our spiritual need for holiness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a prayer 
that God would intervene in our lives. That God would help us to remain pure in the midst of the temptations and evils of, of our world. This is a prayer for holiness. Uh, the word holiness means to be sacred or, or to set apart, to be blameless, to be morally pure. I don't want anyone to think that our need for holiness implies that our Father will reject us if we are less than holy, because in this life we all remain less than holy. That's not the case. He will not reject us. Nothing can separate us from the love of our Father. Therefore, we don't pray for and we don't seek holiness in order to earn God's favor. That's a mistake that many people make. We pray for and we seek holiness because of our Father's unconditional love for us. We seek to avoid sin because sin is disobedience to our Father. Disobedience that displeases the one who who loved us enough to give us His, His one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. So we pray for and we seek holiness not to earn our Father's love, but because of our Father's love for us. Now, there are those who who believe, or at least think, or at least live uh, the the Christian life. They think the Christian life is just about this this idea of forgiveness. That once you've trusted in Christ, once you've received the grace of God, once you've been forgiven for your sins, then, then you're good. But Jesus wants us to know that, yes, His death on the cross provides for our forgiveness, It enables us to enter into relationship with our Heavenly Father. The the Christian life begins and continues to enjoy the the forgiveness of our our loving Heavenly Father. And this is the part that we often forget. Jesus' death on the cross not only provides for our forgiveness, but it also provides for our holiness. God wants what's best for you. And what's best for you is holiness. What's best for you is is following after Him and trusting in Him and and doing as He is commanded. Through Christ's death on the cross and through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we receive power to overcome our sin, to live holy lives. And so we can pray with confidence and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This prayer for holiness, for, for rescue from temptation and evil, breaks down into two parts. The first part, and lead us not into temptation, might be better understood as keep us from temptation. Because why would God, why would our Father in heaven ever lead us into temptation? God is holy, and God is righteous, and God is good. And the thought that He somehow leads His children, He leads us into places or experiences that tempt us to sin, that just doesn't seem right. In fact, James writes, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So why do we pray, lead us not into temptation? Well, the answer seems to be that Jesus is not saying that we need to pray against a God who, who is, his, has us on a leash and is dragging us to places of temptation. Instead, we're simply asking God to keep us away from the things that tempt us. This prayer is an expression of a a heart that desires to avoid the dangers of temptation. The heart that doesn't even want to go into that area. It could be expressed like this. Father, I know my weakness, my my propensity to sin. I 
I'd ask that you proactively do not allow me to be led into places or experiences that cause me temptation. I have no desire to be in a place where there's possibility of, of, uh, where the possibility of sin is increased. This is a prayer that confesses our weakness. This is a prayer of, of one who knows the devastating effects of sin. The effects that, that, that sin can have in, in our lives. When we honestly look at the power of sin and, and at our weakness and at our sinful propensities, that, that we're, we're drawn to these things, that our, our flesh desires these things, we should greatly fear uh, this danger of temptation. This request is a, is a plea to God to, to place a watch over our eyes and our ears and our mouth and our feet and our hands. That in whatever we see, whatever we hear, whatever we say, and in any place we go, and in anything we do, He will protect us from sin. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're laying claim to the, the promise that Paul gave to the church in Corinth. He said, no temptation has taken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When we're tempted, God provides us a way of escape. And I believe the main way of escape is to run to God and to pray to God, lead us not, lead me not into temptation. Keep me from being tempted, Lord. There's a temptation out there. I, I've, I've wandered into a wrong place. I've, I began thinking about the wrong things. I've turned on the wrong channel. And I'm being tempted, Lord. I, I run to You. Lead me not into temptation. Keep me from this temptation. I don't want to give in to this temptation. I don't want to fall. I don't want to break fellowship with You. Now we know that in this life, we will never be fully free from temptation. We'll never be free from the danger of sin and, until we're with the Lord. And so with Martin Luther, we say we cannot help being exposed to the assaults, but we pray that we may not fall and perish under them. Temptation is a reality in the world, and we pray, God, help us overcome. We pray, lead us not into temptation. Father, I, I want to be holy and pure. I want to demonstrate my great love for you by obeying your commands. But Father, I'm weak. I, I need what only you can provide. I need the power of your Spirit. Go before me. Lead me away from temptation and, and keep me from sin. You know, if you're struggling with sin in your life, you have to ask yourself, am I diligently praying this prayer? Am I praying, God, lead me not into temptation? Am I falling on my knees? God, don't let me be tempted by these things. Now, if you remember, as we examine the Lord's Prayer, I've said all along that, it, that every request... There, there are things we can do to actively be involved in our own prayers. And this is certainly true in our prayer to be kept from temptation. You can pray, uh, lead us not into temptation. Lead me not into temptation as you head to a place of temptation. You can't pray that. Actually, you can't pray it sincerely. Lord, help me. Uh, keep me from being tempted uh, to lust as I turn on the TV or the computer to watch the latest TVMA, HBO, or Netflix show. 
In fact, as we pray that God keep us from temptation, we must flee temptation. Paul writes to his disciple Timothy, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Paul says, flee, run from, avoid at all costs, youthful passions, uh, temptations, and don't, don't just flee from temptation. You must flee to or pursue righteousness and faith, love and peace. We pursue the things of God. We first pursue God's concerns. It's really a, a three-step process. Uh, we do it together. It's not like one, two, three. It's just all happening. We pray to be kept from temptation. We flee temptation. And we pursue the things of God. That's really the key to overcoming sin in your life. Those three things. Are you praying to be kept from temptation? Are you fleeing temptation? And are you pursuing the things of God? If you do the first two, it's not going to be long. There's, there'll be a vacuum in your life. You have to add the third, the, the pursuit of the things of God to fill you up so that these temptations are no longer temptations in your life. Now let me give you uh, an example of a fleeing temptation. I heard it uh, from my son when we were in Cambodia. We went to we went to Cambodia to spend time with a missionary family that we support. Some of you uh, have met this family when they came to visit us. There they are. They're the ones with uh, darker skin, just saying. Uh, and uh, you notice there on the far, is it the far right? Is it your right? You notice the t-shirt that Sompek is wearing? Yeah. Bridges shirt. All right. That's we gave out some Bridges shirts as, as gifts over there. Uh, the wife in this family, her name is F. Yes, another letter of the alphabet. They like to use uh, the American alphabet for their nicknames. She's Thai, and we met her 20 years ago when she was a college student living in Bangkok. She went on, a, uh, on to marry Sompek, a, a Cambodian man, and they serve with an organization called Interchange, and, and they work among the poor, uh, the urban poor throughout the world. Interchange does. They work in Cambodia. And it was great to, to see where they live and to be around their ministry. Right now, they're working mostly with high school age students. They're working through sports a lot, mostly boys. And so on several occasions, we had the opportunity to, to spend time with these students. I was able to give my testimony and to share the gospel, but it was my son Michael who had the greatest impact on these students. Uh, when F found out that Michael, uh, who is 28, are you 28? 27? How old are you? Oh, wow. Good dad, right? <laughs> when F found out that Michael, 27, a college student, a graduate student, he, PhD student, he'll be done before he's 30, I pray, uh, anyway, uh, still uses a flip phone. He still uses the flip. When, when F found this out, she asked him to speak about this to the students. You've got to talk to them about why you, have a, why you still have a flip phone. Because even though these... Is this okay? This is okay, right? Because even though these students... I'll give you $10. We used to... We, when they were kids, I'd give them a dollar if I mentioned them, but this is probably worth 10 uh, Because even though these students are poor, I mean, relatively speaking, they all have smartphones, 
And F is worried about how much time they spend just engaged with their phones. Clearly, this is a worldwide problem. And Michael gave them, in, uh, in his powerful talk, Michael gave them three reasons he doesn't want to have a smartphone. First, because it costs more than a flip phone. There's, there's finances involved. Second, because he has a pet peeve. You should have been there as we tried to translate uh, pet peeve into Cambodian. He has a pet peeve about people who are always on their phone while they're with other people. We hate that. Michael hates that. And third, because a smartphone enables you to connect to the internet anytime, any place, and he doesn't want that temptation in his life. This is an example, a simple example, uh, uh, but a profound example of what it means to flee temptation. If there's something in our lives that's leading us to temptation, whether, whether it be our phones, our, our televisions, uh, a relationship, whatever, when, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we must also do what it takes to avoid temptations Avoid the temptations that we're being led into with our own stuff. We buy the stuff and put it in our lives. The things that tempt us. So, so I'll expect to see a lot more flip phones next week at church, right? Michael is a trendsetter in that area. Now praying that we be kept from temptation, personally avoiding, and personally avoiding temptation, and pursuing the things of God is part one in our quest for holiness. But there's more. We pray, keep us from temptation, and we add, deliver us from evil. That's what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The first part of the prayer recognizes our personal weakness in remaining holy before God. We struggle. We can't do it on our own. We need to pray to God. We need the power of God. It It speaks to our propensity to be tempted and to fall into sin It's really calling upon the Father to save us from our own uh, natural inclinations to sin. From our own ability to remain holy. But there's more than our own weakness working to destroy our holiness. There's also the evil in the world. And so we pray, but deliver us from evil. Or as the NIV says, but deliver us from the evil one. The phrase evil in the Greek can mean evil or it can mean evil one. And so you'll see that differently translated. But the evil one it would refer to would be Satan himself. We're praying that God intervene in our lives to deliver us, to protect us from evil and and from Satan himself. Now there's often a problem when we talk about evil, when we think about evil. In English, when we say something is evil, uh, we're usually thinking uh, we reserve that word for the vilest acts, for the worst people in the world, right? Uh, when we were in Cambodia also, we went to one of the killing fields that's been made uh, into a memorial site. This is a, a picture there of, of the memorial it's a monument built in the middle of, a, of this killing field. In, in these fields, more than a million Cambodians were killed by, the, uh, by their fellow Cambodians, the Khmer Rouge, between 1975 and 1979. This is a picture of inside. Uh, the monument are the skulls of the thousands of people found buried in this, in this, in this one field. We were given headsets uh, 
in English. And as we walked around, we listened to the atrocities that took place at this very site. The leader of the Khmer Rouge, Pol Pot, had a a vision to transform Cambodia into an entirely self-sufficient agrarian society free from foreign influence. And so under the leadership, under his leadership, the Khmer Rouge drove people out of the cities and forced them into the country where they were supposed to uh, work the land. If you've seen, Netflix does have some good things. Uh, First They Killed My Father is on Netflix, and it's about this very time in history in Cambodia. But as they forced people out of the cities, they they captured and and they killed many. Those who in, in any way worked for the government the former government, uh, intellectuals, teachers, policemen. They killed those who spoke French because they were the Cambodians had been under French rule. And of course, anyone they believed opposed them or or didn't uh, follow their rules. One One of their mottos was, it's better to kill someone who is innocent than to let someone who is guilty escape. Sort of the opposite of of our judicial system. They not only killed people from these groups and others, they killed their entire families, their wives and their children. They did this because they didn't want the families of the the, the ones they killed to rise up but sometime later and seek revenge. So they just wiped out the whole family. Here's a picture of one of the saddest places we encountered at the killing field uh, was a tree where the Khmer Rouge would use to smash infants and small children against. So we would all agree, I believe, that Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge were evil. But when we limit our definition of evil to the vilest among us, it can cause us to think that in comparison, oh, I'm not evil, we're not evil. We'd never do these kind of evil things as long as I don't kill millions or or even one or if I don't steal or rape or any vile act that you decide upon, then, then I'm not evil. They're evil, but I'm not. However, the Bible uses the word evil, in this case, deliver us from evil, and, and in many other places. It's not speaking about uh, men like Pol Pot, or Hitler, or Stalin, or Mao. It's not just speaking about acts of genocide, of killing millions, or even killing one. It's not speaking only of murderers, and rapists, and pedophiles. In Scripture, the word evil is often contrasted with its opposite, good. The Bible teaches that if a person or an act is not good, it's not of God, then it's evil. Paul says of himself, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. This evil is is referring to his own sin. It's referring to not doing good. When we sin, when we, when we fail to do good, when we fail to follow God who is always good, we're doing evil. So when we pray to be delivered from evil or to be delivered from the evil one, we're, we're again recognizing our propensity for evil. Our inability to avoid the temptations and the sin that Satan dangles before us. We're asking God to actively work. God, I can't do this. God, God, my heart wants to do this evil thing, this wrong thing, this not good thing. Come, work in my life. Protect me from, from evil. 
Lord, I, I know my weakness, my willingness to listen to the lies of the enemy, my willingness to be led into wickedness, my propensity to, to not do good but to do evil. And so I pray for deliverance. You know, when you're, when you're, this word deliverance is very strong. How much time do you spend praying when you're, when you're struggling with sin, whether there's sin in your life and you just keep repeating it and you ask God, you're keeping, you continue to ask for forgiveness. Are you willing to take uh, 30 minutes in a day and go before God on your knees and beg Him for deliverance? Have you done that? Pray for deliverance. I pray that you not only that you not allow evil or the evil one to penetrate my heart and my mind. I, I pray that you give me the power to resist evil. Because again, we not only pray that we be delivered from evil, we also, as James says, we must submit yourself bef- therefore to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Notice again that there are two parts here. Two aspects, two actions that we have to take. First, we submit and draw near to God. We move towards God. We move towards the things of God. We fill our lives with the things of God. We must surrender our lives to God. We must enter into relationship and and maintain that relationship with Him. Continually reading His Word, spending time in prayer. We must allow Him to rule and reign as the King in our lives. And we do that by drawing near to Him. We do that by spending time with Him. How much time are we spending with Him in His Word and in prayer? And by by submitting to His Word through prayer. His Word uh, defines what is good and what is evil. We don't even know. We don't even know what's good and evil until we go to His Word. God has communicated what He wants us to do, what He wants, who He wants us to be through His Word. And to submit to Him, we must know and obey what His Word says. David wrote, I have stored up Your Word in my heart. I spend so much time pouring over Your Word. It's in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against You. Because when the Word is, is filling my heart, when, I've, when, I, when it's replaced the, the evil desires that I'm so prone to, then that's when I begin to overcome sin. Through His Word and prayer, draw near and submit to God. And second, we also must resist or or fight against the devil, the enemy. We must resist the evil one. We must resist evil in in our lives and in our world. We, We must realize that we're in a battle. And you have to do something when you're in a battle. You can't be neutral. You'll get smashed. And we're in a battle for our holiness and we can choose to either give in to the influence of e- influences evil, of evil, to the influences of, of the world, our own flesh, Satan himself, the devil, or we in the power of the Holy Spirit, armed with the Word of God, going forth in prayer, can resist and fight against evil. We can fight against that, that sin that we're so prone to fall to. And that fight takes place, brothers and sisters, on our knees takes place on our knees, resisting the devil. And so as we come to the end of the Lord's Prayer and the end of of this series, I'd encourage us to pray together. Maybe you're struggling with some temptation. Maybe there's something that you you just can't escape it.
You're drawn to it. Maybe you can't resist. Maybe you've been beaten down so much that you can't resist. You need to call upon your brothers and your sisters to pray for you, to pray that God will keep you from that temptation. Maybe you're in the midst of evil. And again, remember, evil is is sin. Evil is not doing what God wants, not doing the good that God wants for you, that God has for you. You've given in to the lies of Satan, and and you need deliverance. You need need to be delivered from this evil, from this sin. Again, call upon your brothers and sisters to pray for you. This, 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 by definition, involves vulnerability, being real with one another. Remember, the Lord's Prayer, we've talked about this, and let me emphasize it here at the, at the end. The Lord's Prayer is given uh, not to us as individuals to go just into our prayer closets and repeat it to ourselves, but it's given to us, to, to the group of us, as God's children, to all who call God our Father. It's a group prayer, and it's It's time we humble ourselves and confess our sins, our our need to flee temptation, our need to resist the devil, and call upon one another to pray for us. Lead us not into lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to pray for one another. We need to care for one another in these areas. If your brother or your sister is is trapped by evil, you need to come alongside and and pray for them. And if you're the one trapped, you need to make that known. Not in, you know, you don't have to stand up here and tell everybody, but find someone. I'm happy to to be that someone if if you need need that. Our elders, we have others uh, in our our prayer team. If you you need that uh, today, after church, if you want to just come up here and and uh, make that known or just tap myself or Tom or others on the shoulder and say, hey, could you just pray for me in this area? I'm really struggling with this temptation. I'm really struggling with this thing in my life. Would you pray for me? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word and, and how it teaches us so much, Lord. Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that we would not be led into temptation. I pray you would keep us from temptation and that you would deliver us from evil. You would deliver us from not doing good, not doing the things that you're calling us to. Lord, I pray that we would uh, fill our lives with purity and righteousness and the things of you, with your concerns for, for ourselves, for the world. Or that you would fill us with the good things that you offer. And, and as we're filled, Lord, we'll be able to resist and, and run from the temptations, the evil that, that's in our world. Lord, be with us. Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, the courage, the boldness, if we're struggling in, in some area in our lives, give us the boldness to step forward and, 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 and uh, receive prayer for that, Lord. That's the answer that you offer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.